Well, here it is another Friday down. The summer is coming to an end, but I got to tell you, it is still summer where I am because we're going inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalero. Pulsara is the proud sponsor of this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you can create a robust community paramedicine program at www.pulsara.com slash EMS. And here he is, my... Can I say Cajun buddy Kelly Grayson? KG? Yeah, is it Cajun well, buddy? Can I'm, I say that? Uh, I'm redneck, redneck buddy. Uh, I'm just Cajun by choice, <laughs> but okay. I, I don't have the the genealogy. So is so Cajun is almost a specific nationality, isn't it? Almost like a specific. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. they are. There were there were probably forty uh, original Cadian surnames uh, that uh, that migrated from from Canada uh, down to Southwest Louisiana. And, uh, they, uh, just a, a very small population of people. Um, and they're, they were trapped between the, the British and the French during their wars and, and didn't much care for either, either party. So, uh, they got booted out of Nova Scotia and came down here and, and made a life for themselves in Louisiana. You know, it's funny, you know, when you say that, you know, I've used the term Cajun before I've heard the term Cajun before, but I could tell you, I've never in investigated what it meant, right? And which well, is it's, just it's, a, it's just it's just my ignorance, right? Yeah, because it's a it's, it's a corruption of the of the word Acadian. So well, thank you for that history lesson, but I appreciate <laughs> it. But Kelly, you know, some of the things uh, we, we were talking about that we get so many, so many people who are sending us suggestions for shows, and mm -hmm. we've got those in production and we're getting ready to pull those out. And one of the ones we got earlier was from a guest, uh, our guest who's on today, who wanted to interview us for a change and uh, kind of talk a little bit about uh, leadership, kind of talk a little bit about education. Uh, he was an EMT at the time. Uh, just recently, he passed. He's a paramedic now. So, But you know this, gentlemen, because yep. he is from your nape of the neck, and I am going to let him uh, <laughs> let you introduce him. Yeah, we have with us today Ronnie Lynn Hill with MedExpress uh, Ambulance in, in southwest Louisiana. Known Ronnie for years, uh, and congratulations, Ronnie, on getting your uh, uh, joining the fraternity of paramedics. Uh, I never had any doubt that you'd get there, um, but uh, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Glad, glad for y'all having me here, Chris and Kelly. Appreciate it. And you have been a listener for a long time, Ronnie, so we want to thank you for that. I'm not going to ask which host you enjoy better because just because you're from Louisiana, I don't want you to make Kelly feel bad, but so you said that you were going to come on and you wanted to kind of interview us and kind of talk a little bit uh, uh, about a leadership standpoint, kind of talk from a, a clinical or an educational standpoint. So I'm going to take your first question. What do you got for me? Hi, Chris. Uh, so my first question is I've heard of, you know, different new leaders, new supervisors in different areas and stuff like that. Say they have, uh, you know, trouble getting support from their agency. It's kind of like, you know, basically with everything else, it's like hurry up and get somebody on the job and go ahead and keep it going. But how, how can somebody like that, a new or aspiring leader, develop their leadership ability when their agency doesn't actively support their development? Yeah, I think that that's an excellent question. One of the biggest challenges that we have in the EMS field is the fact that where are our leaders getting trained? And the other challenge is, is that we don't have a, well, there's a couple of places, but we don't have a unified place that we could all learn. 
And then one of the biggest challenges is that I have a leadership style and Kelly has a leadership style and Mm -hmm. you have a leadership style. So collectively, we don't have a unified leadership style. One of the things that I used to do for my leaders is when I promoted them, they had experience, but I also sent them through a school that allowed them to be trained in the same foundation of, of uh, you know, the, the hospital system we were working for and to say that this is the way that we were going to move forward. Now, to the second part of that question is a lot of times they're not getting support from the agencies because the agencies don't know how to train them, right? They don't have a leadership development program. So one of the things that you got to think about is when you're going to step foot into the next level of responsibility, and I, I don't like to say to become a leader because leaders are at every single level. If you can influence people, you can lead people. You're a leader regardless of your, of your title. Leadership is an action. Leadership is not a position. The next thing that you need to think about is finding some way to move yourself. Read about the styles of leadership, read about communication issues, read about conflict resolution, find some peers that you can talk to and ask them questions. You are going to make mistakes. In my book, Ultimate Leadership, 10 Rules for Success, these are the rules that I had to develop over my career to be a successful leader because I was horrible in the beginning, you know. Uh, Rule number seven is experience comes from mistakes and mistakes come from lack of experience. We've got to be able to do that. Now, one of the things that happens here, Ronnie, though, is that since we have nobody supporting us at the at the leadership level, we tend to lose our motivation. We tend to lose our inspiration. Then we tend to start doing some, uh, uh, you know, bad things against what we're supposed to do. If nobody cares, why should I care? Never allow the organization to dictate your professionalism, to dictate your commitment, to dictate your dedication, to dictate how you do your job. Just because they're crappy leaders doesn't mean you need to be a crappy leader and you need to set the example for others to follow. So in summarizing, even though you're not getting support, read, study, ask questions, watch videos, you know, do, uh, you know, there's a great free event that's coming up here soon that uh, we're going to talk about. The EMS Leadership Academy once again is putting on their year three. So there's places to get this uh, experience, but we've got to be diligent in ensuring that we do that. Excellent answer, Chris. I appreciate it because and I, and I appreciate you reminding us that, that leadership, you know, it can be done at any level. It doesn't necessarily have to be at a level at a higher level of administration that you could be a leader no matter what position you hold. So appreciate that. Uh, Kelly, next question is for you. Yeah. Uh, How do you deal with a class that has a lot of disciplinary issues due to lack of respect for the instructor? Well, first of all, uh, there's there's a a number of approaches to that. When you say lack of this, a lot of disciplinary issues due to lack of respect for the instructor, is that coming from is that an attitude that comes from the top down and, and that the people are, who are in your class, uh, it's pretty much tacitly uh, accepted at the agency that you're just doing it for show, or, or are they actually there to learn something, or is there a personal problem uh, with, with the students you have in your class? Um, disciplinary issues are pretty straightforward, uh, you know, when it comes to, to just, you know, disruptive behavior in class and, and, and not meeting the rules and, and requirements of, of the, the class. Uh, the problem that I've always run into is it's not uh, setting uh, standards of, of behavior 
in my students is, is not a big problem. The problem is, is that the, the agency that I teach for, not, not saying any specific agency, uh, the management um, often doesn't do anything but pay lip service to what you're doing. I'll give you an example. You teach a refresher class uh, and your employer wants you to teach this, this refresher class or this con ed session, yet um, uh, they are perfectly okay with pulling people out of class to run a call. Uh, or, or if people uh, leave, they, they come back a, an hour late after lunch or, or this and that. And people are wandering in and out or they're, they're off doing something else, uh, distracted during class and that sort of thing. That is a top-down problem. That's, that's it, plain and simple. Uh, when, you have a, when you have students that are distracted uh, or, or not taking the class seriously, uh, what I do is, is just tell them, Hey, do you really want to be here? If, if you, if you don't want to be here, you're free to leave, but I'm going to focus my energy on the people that are willing to be here. Uh, that's an ugly way to do it in class. Sometimes it's necessary, but for me, the, the best way to circumvent that problem, uh, before it even starts is have, uh, upfront, uh, clear expectations of the class with management. And I'll tell people, you know, if they, they uh, ask me to come in and teach a class, okay, uh, I'm taking role in this class. And if the people are not here, they don't get credit. Um, I am doing testing in this class. If they don't pass, they don't get credit. Uh, you'd be surprised how many agencies just only want to pay lip service to education. Uh, they want uh, documentation that the education was provided, but they don't really care about the content or whether anybody actually got anything out of it. Uh, so in that regard, all you can do is teach to the best of your ability and make sure that the people who are, are there and are willing to learn uh, get the information that you impart. Everybody else can't fool with. All right. Awesome. I don't have a whole lot of patience for that sort of thing, but it's a common thing in, in, in classrooms, uh, particularly at smaller agencies that kind of have ad hoc, uh, uh, not very well organized education programs. Ronnie, before you ask your next question, I am going to ask Kelly uh, to uh, do his part and uh, give the mid-show read. What do you say, Kelly? I'm ready. Whether community paramedicine or the routine transport from COVID-19 to STEMI to behavioral health, from the scene of a car crash in your city to a patient's living room in rural Montana, Pulsara connects you in real time with any member of the care team. Pulsara makes communicating across organizations and regions easy for any patient type. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team, and communicate in a way that's best for your team and the patient case. For more information, visit pulsara.com slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash EMS. All right. So, Chris, this next question is for you. Uh, how can a junior leader operate effectively with lack of communication about their roles and responsibility from their superiors? And how does one reconcile those problems? Well, what are you calling a junior leader, like a supervisor? Like a, like a field supervisor or yeah. even, uh, maybe even somebody who's as low as an FDO. So one of the big, you know, communication is the foundation of any relationship. And to say that there's poor communication means that there's not only challenges between the administration and the field crews or the field supervisor, but also the field crews are probably feeling that as well. Now, sometimes that's a style of leadership because I had a boss that never would tell me 
um, things about my position. I did a good job or that was a good program or none of those things. So sometimes you have that lack of communication, but here's, here's a challenge that we have in organizations, Ronnie, we have these pieces of paper that, uh, whether we sign or whether we see, or whether it's put in our files, it, it's just something that we just are really opposed to paying attention to. And that's our job description. And when I talk about developing leadership development programs for organizations, I say, what is the leader? What does the job description say for this position? And then we've got to be able to set up the learning that meets the skills that you need to have responsibility for this position. So even in the lack of communication in your job description, you have the duties that you're going to need to perform. Now, what you don't have, though, is, is the metrics or the outcomes that you need to make sure that you're successful in that position. So learn what your responsibilities are, figure out what skills you need to have to meet those responsibilities and write those down. And then try to figure out how can I get this training to meet these skills that meet these responsibilities that will allow me to be a successful leader. And it's really that simple. I mean, it's almost like a blueprint, right? It's almost like you lay the blueprints out in front of a, a in front of a field and you you flip through it page by page. And then in a few months, you've got a house. Well, it's the same thing. You've got a blueprint print in front of you that's talking about your responsibilities and the skills you need to have. You read, you study, you talk. Same thing I said before in the last answer, you know, do online education, whatever that is. And then you start to develop those skills. So remember, because the people above you aren't giving you the support that you need, aren't giving you the education you need, aren't giving you the knowledge, the skills or the abilities, you've got to be able to step up and figure out how to get that for yourself. Because you know what? The people who, you're, who are following you are hoping that you're going to be able to do that for them. Awesome. Very good answer, Chris. Uh, Kelly, my next question is for you. Uh, how can an educator stay inspired to continue teaching after a particularly difficult class, uh, such as one kind of like we mentioned earlier, you may have a lot of disciplinary mm -hmm. problems or disorganization within the class or maybe even lack uh it's it's difficult to keep a smile on your face when when you're struggling to to even have a an adequate learning environment man i feel your pain um all you can do is is teach to the best of your ability now when there are situations where where uh everything is has been thrown in your lap and you're getting no support uh i try to be uh, operate on the assumption that that's what i'm going to deal with uh, whenever I go teach somewhere, um, <clears throat> meaning that I try to take uh, leave as little uh, as I can in the hands of the people who are hosting the class, uh, be as self-contained as possible. So when it comes to things like uh, um, the the room setup and the equipment I will need and the stuff that I need to do this class effectively, uh, I will I will make that very clear and make sure that I'm. Uh, have all the equipment and, and stuff that I need to, to do the class without relying on someone who will probably uh, uh, not be able to provide the things that they promised me. Uh, I just take it as a given that I'm going to have to do this myself. Uh, that's part of it right there is, is just um, is, is controlling everything that you can control about the class. When it comes to, to maintaining your, your motivation and your mojo after a particularly difficult class, you have to ask yourself this one thing. 
was the class dissatisfactory um, because uh, because of the students or the environment or the lack of uh, uh, the lack of support from the agency in teaching the class, or did you just take the wrong approach to it? And when I say wrong approach, I don't mean like you you did something incorrect. I'm saying, was there a different tack you could have taken that would have made this class more enjoyable and more of a success? Um, often, too, too many uh, instructors out there will try to teach uh, and make the people in their class adapt to their teaching methods rather than the other way around. Um, and and it's, it's uh, a dissatisfying exercise for everybody. It's to, to continue teaching after that particularly difficult class, you have to first ask yourself, why was the class difficult? And, and a whole lot of times these, these uh, problems that arise in class are a reflection of something you're doing or not doing. So you have to have a little bit of introspection and say, okay, uh, did I, did I just sell that wrong? Was that the wrong tack to take? Uh, if, if people aren't picking up what I'm putting down, is that me or is that them? You have to remember, Ronnie, that that education is nothing but knowledge salesmanship, and any good salesman knows his knows his potential buyer, and and they modify their pitch uh, to the the particular buyer. They know what makes them tick. Uh, they they know what their motivations are, and and they plan their sales pitch accordingly. Same way with with the lesson plan. If you're inflexible in how this happens uh, and how you deliver the content, uh, you're going to find a substantial portion of people that just don't learn it the way you want to teach it. And uh, you're going to have a bad experience in class. So if you have done your best and, and tried to modify your teaching methods and, and tried to, to make the class as good as you can, uh, all you can do is, is what Chris said, don't let somebody else determine your professionalism. Teach the class as best you can. Uh, make sure that the people who are receptive and, and eager to get the information get it. And don't, uh, don't let the other ones give you an ulcer. All right, I really, I really like that analogy of uh, an educational salesman. I've never thought of it that way, but it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, That's well, I'll, I'll throw an example for you out there. You know, you can say, um, uh, say you're teaching a, a uh, uh, cardiac emergencies to a group of firefighters. Uh, and there are a group of firefighters that the only reason they're EMTs is because they had to be an EMT so they could drive a fire truck. And they're really not motivated to learn about how to take care of grandma or grandpa with, with the extensive cardiac history. Okay, well then reframe it. This is one of your fellow firefighters that suddenly experiences chest pain at a fire scene. And the ambulance is 20 minutes away. What are you going to do to keep this guy alive uh, or to, to care for him until... Uh, more help arrives. So, you know, you, you shifted in, in the framework that they understand. How do I, how do I help my brother firefighters and that sort of thing? So uh, you try to find out what their motivations are and, and tailor your pitch accordingly. All right. Uh, so Chris, my last question uh, for you is how can a junior leader such as like an FBO or a field supervisor formulate and present their ideas to superiors, to their superiors in a way that will be respected and considered? Yeah, that's a good question and one that I'm going to have to take a deep breath on to think about. Um, I don't know if you know this, but EMS is a very egotistical career. No. Egotistical career. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason I say that is because, and usually I follow that up with, uh, and because of that egotism, uh, we never ask the question why, because we don't want it to look like we don't know what we're talking about in front of our peers. But if you know everything there is to know about EMS, raise your hand. Well, 
a lot of EMS leaders are the same and um, they take themselves very seriously. Uh, they lead from positions of authority or from a command and control position. They are, um, again, uh, some are egotistical. And I was this guy, right? I mean, this was me. I mean, so I'm, I'm talking about it based on not only what I see in the United States, uh, but also the way that I acted when I was a field supervisor, when I was a manager. Uh, I got to tell you, man, even when I had the title of director, I wasn't very uh, um, uh, welcoming. But one of the things that you need to be able to think about is you as a junior leader, and you have a vision of where the organization is going. At least you should. There's a vision statement of the organization. You should know where the vision is going every day. And you should march towards the vision every day. So if you have some ideas and you want to share them, the best way to do those are is to write out the problem. And then write out the what you think the solution is. And then write out how do you think that should be implemented. Now, what I want you to do with that is I want you to sit in your favorite chair and look outside or whatever it is. And I want you to read the problem. I want you to read the solution. I want you to read how to implement it. And I want you to study that a little bit. Then I want you to take it to your boss and know this, that may be as far as it goes. If he decides to implement or think about implementing, um, that's going to be great. And it's going to be great for you. It's going to be great for the organization. Just know every program you want to start or everything you want to try to do doesn't work. Experience comes from mistakes and mistakes come from lack of experience. But if it only goes as far as his desk, you're giving yourself some reflection on how you would address a problem, right? So you address the problem. You went through the steps of problem solving to find the solution and you know or you think you know how you would try to implement that. So if anything, it's a little bit of a foundational exercise for you, but make it into a nice little overview, give it to them because they're, they're going to be always be too busy to sit and talk to you right there. Let them read it. The more that you can make that um, uh, understandable, um, maybe there's an implementation. But it's never a hallway discussion. Hey, hey, chief, I got this idea. Or do you ever think about we should do something like this? That's not that's not how that's going to go, right? There needs to be some contemplation. So try that. All right, awesome. I really like the the step by step procedure and the implementation. I really like that, uh, Kelly. My final question for you: mm -hmm. um, How can an educator prepare themselves to expand their abilities outside of the classroom if they so desire, such as uh, speaking at conferences, writing articles for EMS One, uh, leading workshops, etc. Um, well, first of all, pick pick a topic, uh, pick a subject uh, that is that you are passionate about. Um, it, it's there's really no great secret to to writing uh, or or speaking about EMS at, at conferences and that sort of thing. You pick something you're passionate about and you you do it. Uh, now. You have to beat the bushes, and and that's that's the hard part about uh, about selling your your work and, and and getting your stuff published or or getting accepted as a speaker. Is you have to do a little bit of uh, of uh, selling yourself, and and some of us, uh, myself included, are not really good at that. I, I it's it seems kind of unseemly to me to to blow my own horn and and uh, and tell people how great I am so they'll hire me, um, but. Pick, pick one thing. Uh, it's, it's fairly easy uh, in, in concept. 
you've sat through lectures before, Ronnie, and I'm sure you have probably said to yourself, I could do a better job. Well, okay, then do a better job. There, there might be things that, uh, uh, that no one else is doing. Do that. Pick, pick a topic that no one else is covering or pick a topic that everybody else is covering, but you have a contrary view on it and and you have you have a uh, uh something other than the the status quo um if you have a fresh idea on something or a fresh take on a particular topic make that topic make that niche topic your own um and pretty soon they uh if you you speak often enough and loud enough about it uh they will start looking at, at that as as your topic um you know the the they, they say about actresses that the life cycle of an actress is, uh, or an actor is like, who the heck is Ronnie Lynn Hill? And then the producer will say, well, uh, um, get me Ronnie Lynn Hill. And then they'll say, well, get me a young Ronnie Lynn Hill. And then the last stage in your, your life as an actor is who the heck is Ronnie Lynn Hill? And the same thing holds true when you're, when you're speaking or teaching. Uh, they want you to, uh, First, they're gonna they're going to choose your your topics based on what you wrote, okay, or what you're you're talking about. They they don't know you from Adam's house cat, but they need uh, something to fill the twelve EDKG block in their in their conference schedule, or they need a, a topic on on a pediatric airway management, and they'll you'll garner their attention by the topic that you're talking about. But after you've built up a, a fairly large portfolio and you 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 get confident uh, in, in uh, delivering all this content after a while, they're going to start shifting from your topic to you. And they'll say, well, let's get Ronnie Lynn Hill in here to, to uh, talk, or let's get him to write something. And it doesn't really matter what he writes about. Uh, you're a known commodity at that point. Um, and, and that's, it, it takes a, a few years to get to that point where uh, rather than, than the topic that you're presenting uh, or that you're proposing to, to write about or to speak about, they actually are just, you know, hey, send us your portfolio and we'll pick some stuff that we like. Uh, but it takes a whole lot of content development and a whole lot of beating the bushes to get to that point. But you you can get there if you're ubiquitous enough and you do the, the one thing that is essential. When you do get the opportunity, deliver on it in spades. You know, do a, do a great lecture, do a great workshop, do a great article, uh, and they'll ask you for more eventually. Awesome. Well, Chris Kelly, that's all I have for for today for my questions. Well, Ronnie, we appreciate you coming on and and picking our brains a little bit. And and if you'd like to come back sometime, we'll have you pick our brain with some other questions. But you guys have heard what uh um the the trials and and tribulations of of a, a young medic who's trying to build an education program, trying to to build a culture in an agency, and it's tough to do that from the ground up. Um, but we'd like to hear your thoughts on the issue. What would your take be on some of the questions that Ronnie posed to Chris and I? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabalero and our special guest this week, newly minted paramedic Ronnie Lynn Hill, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.